The Cappuccino Podcast brought to you in association with Tactical Solutions. For all your tactical solutions, check them out at www.tactical.co.nz. It's that time again, so grab yourself a cup of joe and get ready for the Cappuccino with Constable Brian. So my guest today on the Cappuccino Podcast is a guest that I've been wanting to have on for ages. Um, and note, madam, you are uh, the Cappuccino Podcast first rugby league guest. Wow, there you I'm go. honoured. All right, there you go. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah so uh, because it's people like Patrice that actually make the game of rugby league as far as I'm concerned in New Zealand. So she's been at the New Zealand Warriors since 2006. She's currently the general manager of community. Um, she also was the manager of the NR. LW team, which um, is now with defunct, but coming back from the ashes, I'm hoping. Yes. Uh, the Warriors Community Foundation. Uh, she was the first female referee ever to be awarded a life membership by the Auckland Rugby League uh, Referees Association, which means that she's been a rugby league referee for about over 20 years. Yeah, correct. Despite only being 27. Uh, she's done eight marathons around the globe. She's also a wife and a mum. She's got a bachelor degree in business management, marketing and comms and managed to achieve all of that at the age of 29. Um, so welcome to the Cappuccino Podcast. Uh, before we kick off, like we always do, uh, the views, opinions and uh, expressions and everything else uh, that we are talking about here are just... Uh, my opinions and Patrice's opinions, they're not uh, reflective of any of the organisations that we work for. The whole idea with the Cappuccino podcast is it's just simply two folk having a cup of coffee and you get to listen to the conversation. Uh, and once again, we thank you for your support. So we do a speed round. Have you listened to any of the podcasts? And it's I okay. All oh, right. Yeah. So you know what the speed round's about though. Um, oh, totally, yeah. So it's my love affair with Keanu Reeves. Um, so um, the best rugby player that you have ever seen is who? Stacey Jones. There you go, no bias there whatsoever. <laughs> uh, one sport that I just cannot get into is AFL. Oh, okay, yep, for me it's tennis. Um, favorite other sport, not that there's many, apart from rugby league? Oh, that's tough. Uh, basketball. There you go. If I could work for any sports organization apart from the beloved New Zealand Warriors around the world, where would you be? Ooh, ooh, ooh. Uh, probably the Atlanta Hawks. Ooh, no accounting for taste it's, 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 <laughs> as a Boston Celtics fan. That's oh, all good though. No worries. Yeah. Bud Webb, best yeah, yeah. dunker ever. Yeah, yeah, about the same height as me as well. Yeah, yeah. There you go. See. Yeah. Uh, last book read. Last book read. Uh, actually, it was non-fiction and it was James Clear, Atomic Habits. Hmm, okay, yep. Mm. Read it myself. Yep. One sports person who I think is the greatest of all time, or the GOAT as we often refer to them, is who? Oh, ho, ho, ho. No pressure. Yep. Geez, that's a tough one. Um, I would probably have to go completely with my heart and say Simon Mannering. There you go, yep. Uh, obvious loss with the tackle count. The second he left, yep. I was saying to lots of my friends, saying, you watch the tackle count go down because this man's a machine. And he's like the grey man. He just kept on going and going and, and, and going and yep, going. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah yep. they should have got him a sponsorship from Energizer. <laughs> uh, most influential Kiwi sports person of the last 50 years is who? Um, 
Jeez, that, these are tough oh, no, questions. Yeah, well, this is like trying to pick your favourite child. We've got an intelligence audience here, yeah, that's why. Yeah, <laughs> um, geez, I'd probably have to say uh, Dame Valerie. There you go. Big shout out to Dame Val. Right, yep. okay. So you wanted to play rugby league as a kid. I did. Your mum didn't let you. <laughs> no. um, but before that, before all of that and where you went, why did you want to play rugby league? Because let's be honest, mm -hmm. you and I are about, roughly about the same age. Um what was the drive because you would have been a real rarity in those days uh, a girl going yeah i want to play rugby league and everybody looking at you going uh patrice maybe yeah so <laughs> what was your drive um i guess i was i was one of those color park kids yep <laughs> so i was at color park every sunday the grass bank kids yeah yep. absolutely grass bank kid yep. um and it was i just kind of grew up around rugby league really loved it my mum and dad super sporty had us in sports all the time um, athletics in summer, netball in winter, um, and was just at Carl Park all the time. Um, I loved playing forcebacks. Nice. Yep. Um, I had a good kick on me. Um, I was fast as well, you know, with athletics and everything. And um, I just kind of really loved, um, I loved everything about rugby league. It was fast, it was hard, it was a team sport, you know, um, and I'd just grown up around it. And I guess it's kind of one of those things where, you know, you want to, be what you can see, and mm. although I wasn't seeing women play, um, I was seeing sports people play. And my mum and dad had always raised me with, uh, I guess, the seventies anthem yep. of just because you're a girl, you can do anything you want. Yeah, and, and so as is normally the way kids always get equality right because they just look at it and go, "But I can." Yeah, exactly. Well, that, yeah. I mean, I was a grass bank kid. I was tackling boys. Yeah, I yeah. was kicking better than them. Yeah, you know, yeah, there was yeah. like, I couldn't see any reason why I couldn't. Yep, they're, yeah, they're perfect. Okay, so you decide to coach, and in an effort to get the rules sorted, you become a referee at the age of 19 years old. Yep. Can you remember what the first reaction to your game was when you turned up? Because I'm guessing <laughs> there probably was, if we're really lucky, maybe a handful of women rugby league referees. Yeah, I was one of two. Yep, exactly. So and can, I was the only one that stuck around the following year. Yeah, bet, yeah. <laughs> so can you remember, one, how you felt when you got out of the car to go and referee that game, and two, what the teams were? Because I can imagine as you sort of walked up, they were like, oh, no, we don't need a physio or sorry, <laughs> sorry, as they would have done in those days. Sorry, sweetheart, the, the tea rooms are over there. Yeah. Um, yeah, what was the reaction? Um, yeah, it was probably a little bit like that. I mean, I have to give Auckland Rugby League like big ups. They were very, very welcoming. Um, you know, they, they didn't muck around. I was also very fortunate we at Auckland Rugby League, we had a gentleman by the name of Bill Sewell and he used to be called the walking rule book. <laughs> and um, so once sort of like the official meeting and everything started, Bill used to take me up into the bar at the old, Carlow Park club rooms and go through the rule book with me nice. and so he was incredible he was um, really really great and he gave me two pieces of massive advice because effectively I turned up on the Monday night at the meeting they handed me a uniform and gave me a game that weekend yeah you know so that was pretty much my my yep. training um, and Billy said to me he said you'll be fine he said two pieces of advice um, you are what you are until you become something different yeah so good. that yep. was to help me yep. with you know, going from the field of play into in goal, from in goal into touch and things like that. Yep. So you are what you are until you become something different. Yep. And the second piece of advice he gave me is, um, if in doubt, put down a scrum. Yeah, okay. Yep. And so that was that was pretty much it. And um, I guess it was a little bit easier turning up to the game. Um, I had an under-13 game, and uh, it was in Te Aratu. And I remember turning up to the game, and I was already stripped, because obviously 
they don't have changing no, rooms yeah, no, yeah, for refs, yeah, let yeah, alone changing yeah. rooms for female refs. Yeah. So I turned up pretty much already in my uniform. So it was kind of easy for them to work out that it was my uniform. But I must have got asked about 42 times, are you RF today? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. You might have made a mistake, I'm sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, yeah. So, um, yeah, so, but I had a, a senior referee there with me on the sideline. Um, which was great because sort of like once you kick off the game and you go through the first half and everything, once it comes to half time, you're kind of really not sure what to do with yourself. Yeah. Um, and so it was great sort of to have him there because I kind of just beelined for him. And he said, you're going great. He said, you're doing a great job, you cool. know, really, really well. Um, keep it going in the second half. Yep. And so, yeah, so that was pretty That was pretty much my introduction to league. And like I said, the referees were, were great. We used to have... Um, Physical fitness, so we have meetings on Monday night, we'd have physical fitness on Wednesday nights, and that was actually at the Central Police Station, yep. and the gym there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so it was great, you know, I, I got in and I trained with the boys, and again, I thank my mum and dad for my upbringing, because it was like, anything they can do, I can do yeah, better, you yep. know, or as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so that was, um, that was pretty much it, but yeah, I mean, it was very different being sort of in a very male-dominated environment, but... Um, I guess I was also lucky to have been raised in the 70s where there was all of that, you know, um, I guess sexism and things like that yeah, because yeah. it kind of just rolled off me. Yeah, yeah. yeah you know, so yeah. it wasn't sort of anything I got offended by or no. it wasn't sort of anything that sort of like shocked me or anything like that. So it pretty much just rolled off me. Yeah. And I definitely think that was, you know, sort of developing that thick skin through the 70s and 80s. Yeah, yeah. not wrong. Um, now, I can imagine you, like every other referee, I've refereed different sporting codes. Um, have taken an awful lot of crap out the middle, right? There's always the, uh, as I call them, the sideline um, NRL champions of yesteryear who have never actually played the game, but they'll tell you all the rules and that type of stuff. Um, you would have obviously faced more crap as a female. I can just only begin to sit here as a police officer and go, the, some of the comments you must have got must have just been horrific. What did you normally do to deal with it? Because there's one at the time, um, and then there's two. I mean, people say, oh, it doesn't really affect you. You just get on with the game and do your stuff. And you're right, lots of times it doesn't. But there are sometimes you get back to your car. It's been a really bad, rainy day and everything else. And you sit there and just think, why am I doing this? Because honestly, did you ever, ever had those days? And how did you get over your hump day? Yeah, it's actually really interesting that you asked that question because in the in the majority of my career, no, I didn't. I, like, mm. I think more often than not, people were more surprised by the fact that I was a girl, but I actually did a good job. Yeah. Um, and also, too, majority of the games I was doing were the kids' games. And yeah. I was really fortunate that I think on one occasion um, I actually had a trainer um, that I took to the judicial through the judicial process because of the abuse, and it wasn't, and it was more that he followed me to m my car and frightened me in that yeah. that respect yeah. than for any other reason. Like you know, I mean, they they are entitled to their own opinions, and as long as they don't sort of threaten me in yeah. a way that makes me feel unsafe, then I actually don't really care yeah. about it. Um, and again, I think it's kind of that thick skin, but. Um, it's actually been in the later years, so I would actually say probably over the last five to seven years, the abuse has got a lot worse. Yeah, yeah. And to the point that I actually had decided that I was no longer going to run touchlines for senior football and things like that because yeah. the abuse and also sexual harassment yeah. was way, way worse. Yeah. Way worse than anything I'd ever experienced before. And um, and it's also got to the point where I actually won't go and watch my husband referee anymore because I can't sit on the sideline and listen to the things that they say about him. Yeah. You know, and um, and then people wonder why we can't get referees to referee our sport. And it's just because, well, 
who would want to turn up on a weekly basis and, and have to experience that? You yeah. know, there's way better things we could be doing with our weekends than contributing to our communities and yeah. to sport. Okay, so the $64 million question I guess then is, how do we get it out of our game? And I say our game because, you know, I'm a passionate rugby league fan as well. Yeah. So how do we get it out of our game? Do we do what they've done in England where they basically start to say with some of the football fans, if you say something racist, if you say something that's sexist or something else, you're gone for the stadium and it's a lifetime ban. See you later. Or do you think that we um, just sort of pull those people aside and sort of say, hey, look, are you actually thinking about what you're saying here? How do you think we get it better? And if you don't know, then that's fine. I don't have any grounds with that either. Yeah, I guess it is a $64 million question. And, I mean, you know, you, I, I guess you can you can beat them with the stick. <laughs> Yep. But I don't know if that's necessarily no. gonna gonna work. So I think I think a lot of it actually comes down to probably the training that we give to our referees and the external support that we give to our referees. Yeah. You know, majority of our referees are turning up to fields on the weekend and they're on their own. Yeah. You know, there's no support, there's no buddy systems, there's no one there to kind of look out for them and or anything like that. And I and I do think sometimes it is um, it is kind of working maybe with a little bit of mental toughness. You know, yep. we you know, everybody kind of experiences really bad things. And then that's, I guess it's how you make an empowered choice as to your attitude and, and reaction to what is kind of happening. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I guess too, like I've kind of got to the point where I would just prefer to help rugby league in a, in a different way. So, yeah. you know, I mean, I'm more than happy to put my hand up to help with training referees and coaching referees and things like that. Cause I think we've got some really great referees coming through mm -hmm. and effectively the game can't happen without them. No. So, and I think, you know, I mean, I, I guess maybe a little bit of carrot, a little bit of stick. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. $64 million yeah. question. And it's all, the do? thing that always interests me about referees is that people always go on about, oh, you know, the video, the, the bunker's slowing down the game and it's doing this and it's doing that. And it's like, that's fine, but if you want it to go back to the referees, you've got to remember they're human and they'll make mistakes, just like yep. players do. Um, yeah, anyway, like Mel Meningi always used to say, it's quite simple. All you do is you make sure that you're playing so well and you've got so many points up on your opposition that the referee isn't even a factor in the game. Yeah, exactly. Yep. You remove the referee. Yep. And I think that I think that's really important now too. I mean, I would rather they got rid of the bunker. You yep. know, I mean, rugby league is a three-dimensional game and bunkers are trying to make decisions from a two-dimensional screen. Yeah. And so I would prefer for us to go back to the way it used to be where, yeah, you just live and die by the decision of the referee and it's two touch judges on the field. And yep. sometimes you're going to get it good and sometimes you're not going to get it good. But, yeah, yeah. you know, I think with bunkers slowing frames down, you know, slowing it down to frame by frame, it's taken a lot of excitement out of the game. You know, when um, Billy Sewell was teaching me, he always taught me that rugby league was an attacking game that rewarded yeah. the attacker. Yeah. You know, and it was all about scoring points. And I think if we went back to that, you know, I mean, the other thing I loved about rugby league, it's a simple game. Yeah. And I think we're trying to make it too complicated. And if it goes back to being a simple game, you know, it'll still be the greatest game on the planet. Yeah. And like um, Dickie Bird, the old cricket umpire used to say, the second you introduce video or analysis systems in for referees, then what will happen is you'll actually start to affect their confidence and they won't make decisions. And you can see that with some of the referees in different sporting codes. Yeah, 100%. Is there a part of you that wishes that you'd refereed an NRL game? Because now we're in that sort of generation. Um, would you have loved to have refereed an NRL game? Absolutely. Yeah. It, like, I remember being at high school 
and actually putting in my yearbook that I would be the first woman to referee a Winfield Cup game there as it was back then. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, and um, I would have absolutely loved to have done that. And I guess, um, although I haven't ever had the opportunity to take the field and blow the whistle, I like to think that I've maybe cut through the forest yeah, 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 to allow yeah. some other women to be able yeah. to have those opportunities. Yeah. So, although I, I didn't get the, the glory of standing in the middle of the field yeah. and blowing the whistle and running the 80 minutes, yeah. um, I like to think that, yeah, maybe I did help carve a little bit of that, yeah. that pathway definitely right because uh, getting a lifetime membership from the auckland rugby league referees association is not a small feat um like you said that when you started there was only you and one other start right so when you had that announced what was going through your mind when they said to you, we're going to make you a life member were you thinking whoa geez if the 19 year old girl in that car park just pulling up now could see this woo or was it just like well cool yeah type stuff because it's a <laughs> yeah. it's a fairly prestigious honor you know the first woman ever um yeah what was your feelings when you got announced um yeah i mean i i guess it was um it was quite it was really overwhelming and i am like so honored to have the life membership let alone the fact being the first lady i mean i guess as with most other ladies it's kind of one of those things you you want to get it to the stage where you sort of you're just a life member you're not yeah, the lady yeah. life member yeah, yeah, right yeah, but yeah. but you know i mean that someone still has to someone still has to break down that barrier yeah, and yeah. um yeah i think it's great i mean that's always one of the things is you know whenever i've thrown myself into something i've always thrown myself into it like with my full heart yeah. you know and i guess that was kind of always the thing was you know at the referees i was never just a referee you know i served three three times on the executive committee um, served on the social committee, was the event manager for our prize givings. Yeah. Like I was so much more involved in the association than just, you know, rocking up and refereeing. Yeah. And um, and I guess it was kind of nice that that was kind of noticed yeah. um, and honoured. And that's the whole thing with a membership, like the, the life membership, is you have to actually contribute more than just your refereeing yeah. prowess yeah. Um, to, to be eligible for life membership. And so I guess that's more kind of that, you know, that recognition of that uh, I was seen and that's yeah. you know and that's that's a pretty big deal that's you know they're going to be wheeling deal. you out as that sort of 80 year old lady <laughs> when they give out more life memberships and go this is the first one and you'll be like and everybody will be like really because well, okay, yeah. Yeah. yeah how did she run around yeah, a football yeah, exactly, field? <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly yeah so um now that said and we've spoken about the bunker so that you can't include that one but yep. um i know that referees very often you watch the game and it's different from watching the game with a bunch of ex-players or a bunch of fans or something else you're watching the referee's performance so the the question i'm going to ask you now is if you could get rid of one rule from rugby league what was what's the immediate one that springs to your mind that you think that's just a pain i just i'm not a fan of that one whatsoever um i think the penalty for like Oh, it's, it's actually really hard because there's a penalty you give for a player being offside. Yeah. And like with the guy, with, with players and that now when they're like jumping for the ball and things like that, if they knock the ball in the wrong direction and it accidentally gets knocked into their yeah. opposition, they can throw a penalty. Yeah. And it, I guess it's not so much removing the rule, but I wish the referees would actually use the accidental offside rule, which yeah. is just a scrum. Yeah. You know, and because I just sort of think that that, you know, that just, that's not rewarding attacking play. No. Yeah. You know, and you want you want the players to challenge for the ball. You want them to be, you know, um, but yeah, that's that's probably one. But I guess it, the one I would really really like to get rid of is the stripping rule at the moment. Yep. So to me, if 
two if two or more players are involved in a tackle and the ball is stripped, it's a strip. Yep. I don't care if they yeah. fall off the yeah, tackle, yeah. if they have a call and they yeah, all yeah, let go. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. It's like, no, because they've gained the advantage of slowing down the man with the ball. They've gained the advantage of being able to wrap the ball up and be able to leverage it away from a player that had two other guys hanging off him as yeah, well. Yeah. And that is the one I would get rid of because yeah. it's, it's a strip any day of the week. There you go. Right. Okay, so how did your role come about at the New Zealand Warriors? Because um, like what we've spoken about before, you volunteered to work at the Warriors before um, and then your position became... So how did your role become your role at the Warriors? Because yeah, I know that you get this from kids all the time. How did you get to work at the Warriors, <laughs> miss? Uh, you know, given the fact that you're not a player because everybody who works at the Warriors is clearly a player. Clearly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So how did that come about? Um, it's actually really interesting because I was going through a, like, a pretty massive life change about that time. So um, I was in the process of being divorced. I was the mum to a three-year-old and I'd moved back in with my mum and dad. Hmm. And at the same time, um, my company restructured and I lost my job. Um, so it was kind of like, um, sitting at dinner with my mum and dad and I think the news came on and I think another rugby league person was being done for using funds inappropriately and I got real angry. I got real angry and so I said, you know, this is the problem with our game. Why can't we get people in there that just want to do the best for the game? And so my mum called me on it and she said, well, why don't you do something about it? And I was sort of like, oh. Oh, I don't know. What could I do about it? And she said, why, why don't you go to university and de- get a degree and go and do something about it? And so that was it. She kind of stuck stuck it in my head. And so I sort of sussed out about university. Never been to university, so I didn't even know if I could do it. I was above average at school, but that was about it. Yeah. Um, pretty much turned up to play sport and eat my lunch. <laughs> That's right. At least you didn't write in crayon like I did. So you're all good. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, or eat them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, so I sort of um, gave... Uh, summer school ago did a level 100 marketing paper didn't really try very hard which is really poor and I ended up with a B plus as you do yep. <laughs> yeah yeah so I thought oh shivers maybe I could really do this so yeah. rolled in um, enrolled in a business uh, management degree majored in sports business management and marketing communications and then in my last or in the last year of that degree you do like a work placement yep. and they invite people from all sort of sporting industries to come in and I actually gate crashed in my second year Right. So I actually turned up in, in my to that for third years in my second year. Nice. And um, pretty much cornered a guy called Richard Howarth. Yep. Because he was currently the commercial manager for the, the Warriors. Yep. And I knew that if I wanted to make a difference in rugby league, that I had to understand how the professional game worked. Yep. Um, but I guess my goal was always actually to be the CEO of New Zealand Rugby League. Um, because then you can impact the game at a grassroots level all the way through, right? Yeah. And um, so, yes, yeah, so I went to um, pretty much cornered Richard and said, don't get an intern for next year because I'm your intern. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and so, yeah, so he was kind of like, uh, probably shell-shocked more than anything. Well, or let's be honest, <laughs> like most people at the Warriors, when Patrice says it normally happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway. Yeah. I, like, I like to think that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah so pretty much I um, said to him, you know, when do you get back in the new year? I said, because university starts in March. I said, but like, you guys will already be like well into your season by then. And I really want to know how it works from the beginning all the way through to the end. And um, he was like, all right, he says, I'm back from holidays. I think it was, he said like 20th of January. And I said, sweet, I'll email you on the 22nd of January. Nice. And um, I did, emailed him on the 22nd of January. And um, I was also fortunate because I'd already kind of done um, like this, the time before. Yeah. So I'd volunteered sort of for the back half of the year, the year before. And then in 2007, I rocked up and I did my internship. 
and um, I was also, I, you know, right place, right time. Universe sending me the gifts that yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you yeah. know I, it does. And at the end of two thousand and seven, the uh, junior warriors were coming into the competition yeah. in two thousand and eight. Yeah. And so there was a position available and what they were looking for was a football administrator. So we had a football administrator that did all the logistics and everything for the NRL team. And so they were looking for an administrator to do the same for the Junior Warriors team. And then that was Emma, Emma Rankin. And so Emma and I kind of worked side by side doing all the logistics and everything. And Emma and I also did community. So, yeah, yeah. Um, and it was kind of in that internship that I sort of wanted to develop community into more than just sort of rocking up to a school waving and signing a few autographs I, yep. I knew the power of the players and the power of, rug, of what rugby league could do in our communities and so that was when i wanted to come up with sort of like i guess programs that kind of meant a lot more yeah. and that you know we could actually deliver some really cool messages and um in 2008 um emma actually resigned and moved north with her new husband and so we did a bit of a restructure and they um, split the role into a football administration role who looked after both teams and a community role. And they said to me, which one do you want? And for me, it was a no-brainer. I went yeah. with the community. Yeah, of course you would, um, as you do. Yeah. Now, you've seen lots and lots of changes. You've seen personnel go. You've seen teams change. You've seen logos change and everything else. What do you think the biggest myth for your average punter i mean you know i've hung around the edges there for a wee while and i see things and hear things and everything else what do you think the biggest myth um in professional sport is for the average sports fan that they don't quite get right about professional sports um it's really hard uh, yeah for, i mean for me i'll give you my one yeah yeah your team cannot win all the time yeah but because i think people especially in new zealand because we've had sports teams in the past that have been literally invincible they get like a 90 percent win record um and people just don't realize that that isn't the way professional sports work the warriors for instance they come out week after week after week you compare them to a, a hockey team overseas and there's very often you know you'll get that um situation where they'll play the warriors will play maybe say the titans um will get bath by them by 30 points we'll then go away and play manly beat manly by five then go back and play the titans and beat them by 25 and people are like why couldn't you play like that three weeks ago yeah. uh, there's a whole bunch of other stuff going on but for me that's that's the big one what do you think it is for you yeah i i guess that that's a really big one and i think the thing that always kind of gets me as well is like um you know like when the team loses they don't want to lose. No, yeah. Like, they don't go out there yeah, to yeah, lose. Yeah, you yeah. know, you don't put in all of the effort that they put in. Yep. You don't bash your body yep. like these guys do. And, you know, and they have to back up, like you said, week yeah, after yeah, week yeah. after yep. week. Yep. You know, so they go out and they have a really physical as game on where they're, like, getting bashed, you know, 40 hit-ups, 70 yep. tackles, like, yeah. you know, whatever it is. And, and they don't actually go out there to lose on purpose, no. right? Sport is literally the best team on the day yeah. at that time. Yeah. And so many things can, you know, come into play around, you know, why a team doesn't doesn't win or, or, you know, there's just so many different aspects that kind of all have to come together at the right time, you know? Yeah. And, yeah, and I know that there's some teams that always have way more success than others, but I think there's probably a lot more going on in the background of those teams that, you know, I mean, why? Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I don't I don't think you can bottle it. I really don't. No. Um, 
I think consistency is really, really important to professional sports teams. Yeah. But I also think that consistency starts at the top. Yeah. Right. So if you look at the clubs that have had like really, really good success, how long has their head coach been around? Yeah. How long have their trainers been around? Yeah. How long have their CEOs been around? Yeah. How long has their ownership been around? Like, consistency's not just on the field. No. Consistency's, like, all the way through. Yeah. You know, and I and I think that that's something that's really important too, is, is you know, like, consistency across all areas of the business. And this is a business. Yeah. You know, yeah, exactly. I, I think some people forget that as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's a business. Like, yeah. I'm pretty sure the last time, you know, I, I give tours around and I'm pretty sure the last time, I mean, I could be wrong now, who knows, with COVID and everything like that. Yeah. But, you know, it, I, I think a, a figure we used to throw out was like $25 million a year to run the club. Yeah, yeah. it's not chicken you know? feed. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's not like they turn, like <laughs> back in the day where they used to turn up for Otahu, you know, they got their old sports bags in the back of the car and they're a builder by day. It's yeah. like, yeah, this is their job. Yeah, yeah so. it's a full-on business. And, you know, I mean, I think also at the peak, you know, pre-COVID, we, we had a, a staff, including players, so players across sort of like three and four teams back then, um, you know, we had a staff of like 150 people. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. And like you say, it's, an, it's a business, it's an organisation, it's not just the men's team. Yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah, exactly, so yeah. Not wrong. Right now, like I said, you've been here for um, 16 years. Out of all that time, dealing with all those players and everything else, and I know that you knew most of them, uh, who's been your sort of top three for dealing with? The guys that you'd go to and go, I need somebody to come to a school with me right now, and yep. they just jump in the van and go. I think I probably know the answer. <laughs> yeah, you probably easy, do, actually. But it's all good. Um, so n- number one for me would be Michael Luck. Yeah. Anytime yep. I asked Lucky to do something, no matter what it was, if he could if he could physically do it, he would do it. Yeah. So he would be my number one. Um, Simon as well, although once he became captain, yeah, like super yeah. hard, yeah. super hard. Once he became captain, because there's just so many more yeah. like pressures on them once they're captain. Um, yeah, kind of. Who would my third one be? Um, it's probably a, a tie, actually. Um, a three-way tie, actually, probably between Nathaniel Roach, Sam Lasoni, and Charlie Gubb. There you go. All good. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Okay. All right. So, um, can you describe why community is so important to an organisation like the Warriors? Because like you've said before, it's a business, it's an organisation. But, I mean, the old adage is true, isn't it? If the Warriors are strong, the New Zealand Rugby League is strong. Because, like it or not, um, the Warriors are a flagship for New Zealand Rugby League. That's it. Um, plain and simple. There's the other NL, NRL clubs, and yes, to a certain degree, but they'll only have um, X amount of Kiwi players, or you know, you can't be that kid of Mount Albert and go, one day I want to go and play for the North Queensland Cowboys, because there's a lot of ifs and buts and everything else. It's, I'm not going to say it's easier to come and play for the Warriors, but it's certainly a lot more uh, achievable, I guess. So why is community so important to somewhere like the Warriors? Yeah, I guess I guess it's it's that connection back. Like one of the things I've always been proud with with the Warriors is whenever you sort of talk to people, one of the things I always like to listen out for is accessible. Yeah. And you know that that to me is like that that means I've done my job right. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yep. Because if our team and our brand and our players and our club are accessible, then that means we are a club for the, for, of the people for the community, yeah. you know, and that's that's like super important to me to be able to hear that. And I, I think too, there's just this real pride, you know, like for some reason we really love to be the underdog. 
Like, I don't know why, yeah, 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 <laughs> but we yeah, do. Yeah. We really love to be the underdog, yeah. you know, and we talk, we tear down our tall poppies, but yeah. we really have this yeah. pride about being an underdog. And, you know, and I think when we are the one and only club from New Zealand playing against 15 other clubs in Australia, you know, and um, we do get missed out on a lot of things, you know, when the NRL mm -hmm. do what the yeah. NRL do, you know. And we are, so sometimes you do think we're a bit of a, a side thought, but, you know, we sort of, we, we are that Kiwi battler going up against the Aussies. Yeah. And, you know, and we need our community behind us mm. to do that because we're already up against it, you know, and so that connection back to the community is really important. But I also think that as a professional club and as a business, we have a responsibility back to our community as yeah. well. Yeah. You know, we, um, we are a link to dreams Yep. We are a link to goals. We are a link to, you know, positivity and, you know, and we bring some people just pure, utter joy and happiness. And, you know, we also bring them sorrow and, yep. you know, all yep. that sort of stuff. Yeah, but yeah. I think that's one of the things that's really exciting about the Warriors is it's it's a roller coaster ride. It's, you know, it, it's, um, but we can't have that roller coaster ride without the passion of our community and without yep. the passion of our fans. Yeah. And so I think, you know, maintaining that link back to our community and back to our fans and being able to provide, um, if not the direct pathways, then at least the, the dream of the pathway, yeah. I think is really important because yeah. everybody's got to have a dream. You've yeah. got to have a dream. It's what hope and dreaming is what helps everybody yeah. get out of bed in the morning. And look, we all know that, look, um, let's say 99.8% of kids that are playing rugby league now are never ever going to be the next Stacey Jones. But the fact that they've had their picture taken with them or Stacey's signed an autograph or said a kind word or something else, it goes on for generations like yesterday. And we'll get further on in the interview here, but um, I'm going to get Patrice to name her Kiwi 13. And straight away, <laughs> oh, you and I both went, same player. Yeah. And it's probably because we've met the man, we've had dealings with him in the past, and he was just a legend, you know. And there was me at the age of 37, still asking him to sign my jersey. So it's like, yeah, yeah, I get it. Yeah, I definitely do. Yeah. Um, now, the Warriors run lots and lots of different community programs. You have done, you and I have done community programs together. You've yeah. done other stuff. You've got, you've had dozens of community programs. You've had healthy eating. You've done reading. You've done, you know, um, playing fair and all that type of stuff, skills and drills and everything else. What, um, COVID's been a real kick in the pants for everybody. Mm -hmm. um, what community programs can the general punters in New Zealand, and I say New Zealand because you guys get out everywhere. I look at your yeah. travel itinerary sometimes and go, damn, she's beat me there too. <laughs> uh, but I went to the Chatham, so that's uh, all good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. You, can, you can have that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's cold. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, but what have you got coming up in the future? What's going to kick off again? Because, I mean, I know getting into the schools is really difficult. And same with community groups as well, because COVID's still sort of there in the background. But Yeah, I mean, I guess we've been really lucky because um, the schools have been really, the arms wide open like to us, which has been really great. You know, I mean, obviously we make sure that we take precautions and things like that. But also, you know, big ups to our schools trying to get as much normality yeah, back into kids' yeah. lives as possible. You know, yeah. like the principals and the school teachers are just absolutely incredible in our country. Yeah. And so, like, massive ups to them. Um, at the moment, we're actually planning to go down to Christchurch. We've actually got two trips to Christchurch. Um, our literacy program, League and Libraries, is still going, yep. um, which is a creative writing competition that schools do in the first term. And then we announce our winners um, now. So we've, we announced our first primary school winner on Monday. Um, that was Noroa Isaiah from View Road School in Waiuku. Nice. Good work. Yeah. Yep. 
and um, we're announcing our intermediate school winner tomorrow. Nice. Um, and then on the 5th of August, we're announcing our brand new Tereo author. Boom, there you go. Yeah, so um, so we're heading down um, to Christchurch at the end of next month because yep. we're going down to the Global Games, the Rugby League tournament down yep. there. So we're going out down to hang out down there. But in the meantime, we're running our um, Prepare to Perform program, which is our game show that we run in primary schools yep. for about an hour, um, talking about the importance of sleep, hydration, and nutrition. Yep. And um, we're also currently piloting a girls program um, in intermediate schools, a program called Tupamaya. So um, I'm really privileged to have uh, Charlotte Scanlon, who is not only a Kiwi fern, mm -hmm. but also a black fern. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, she's working, no slouch. Yeah, 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 working working with us at the moment. Yeah. And um, Charlotte's kind of taken the lead on um, Tupamaya. So she was out in a couple of schools yesterday um, piloting that program. So we're hoping to be able to roll that program out. Um, and there's a couple of others that we've kind of got in the pipeline. But really, we're just kind of getting our feet back in under the desk. Um, excited to have the team home for four games. And, you know, so really we're kind of gearing up for to be all guns blazing for 2023 when yeah. we're kind of back to some form of normality. Yeah, so for those people that don't know, maybe some of the overseas listeners, the New Zealand Vodafone Warriors, I should say, uh, haven't had a home game in 1,038 days. That's almost three years. So the guess, I guess the next question is, team aside, because they were basically camped in Australia, um, and left to their own devices. Um, how did you manage to keep the community stuff going? Because to be fair, that's almost three years of, well, and I know this as a police officer because I was doing the checkpoints and everything else. You couldn't really visit anywhere. Mm. You couldn't get anywhere, but I s still noticed you kept up a high profile. You were still doing stuff. You were still visible in the community. Um, so how did you manage to do it? And were there some days, like me as a community officer, I'd just come in and I'd be sitting there some days going, What's the point? Because you can't, you know, it's just like, I, I could do this, this and this. That's a great idea. Let's brainstorm it, work it all out and even that. I oh, know we're not going to be able to deliver that. Mm. Um, we kind of scaled right back. Yep. We, we scaled everything right back and we literally went online. So we sort of just emailed out to schools and things like that. Um, or schools would make contact with us because, you know, they teachers were kind of pulling their hair out, trying to run online classes and things like that and keep everything fresh and exciting for the kids. So um, although our team was camped out in Australia, they had internet and they had computers. So yeah, yeah so yeah. pretty much what we were doing is we would um, we would zoom into classrooms and we would zoom in a player to a classroom yeah. and we would run Q&As. Yeah. You know, we would just do something really, really basic like um, a Q&A with a classroom and the kids would get to ask questions and um, the players would get to talk about, um, you know, where they were and how they were feeling and stuff like that and how they were dealing with COVID. And because, you know, the restrictions on the teams were, intense yep. you know they couldn't even go out to the cafe and get a coffee yeah, yeah, yeah. you know yeah. like totally totally intense yeah. like you know um living away from home living in their own team bubbles you know like you know that was that was hugely hugely stressful and then and and then continuing to try and you know participate in a in like the best competition in the world, the world yeah you know and i don't know win yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah she's a bit of a um, hard ass that one yeah it was and so i think too the other reason that we kind of wanted to do it was to kind of give the place something that was a little bit fun in their day too and something that was a little bit out of the ordinary and you know um and kind of give them a connection back to New Zealand as well, because that was sort of like hugely important for them and for us. And, you know, I mean, there's with so many new players that until they came back to Mount Smart, I'd never even met them. Yeah. You yeah, know, so yeah. I think at one stage we had like only seven players in the squad that have ever played at Mount Smart as a warrior. 
there you go. You know, yeah, and it. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. it's just insane. And like, and that's the other thing too, right? Is how do you, how do how do the other twenty six guys have a connection back to New Zealand? Yeah, exactly. You know, when they've never even been here. Yeah, so, exactly. That's yeah. a that's a thing. Um, with that in mind, how testing was that time for you personally? Because it must have been pretty rough. It was, you know. Um, yeah, it was actually, it was, um, you know, you sort of, I guess like everybody, you, you started panicking about whether or not you're going to have a job. Yeah. Um, you know, like so many, um, we lost colleagues, you know, yep. we had colleagues that lost, you know, that lost their jobs. Um, we literally got stripped back from four teams to one. Yep. Um, and you know, there was just so much uncertainty and, you know, sort of so much going on and, um, so I guess. I don't know whether I'm an eternal optimist or, you know, you, you sort of a bit of a shark. I have to keep moving to stay alive, you know. Yeah. So um, I kind of threw myself into a whole bunch of study. Um, you know, I mean, my husband and I started an investing. Um, we started sort of like financially investing and things like that about seven or eight years ago. So by the time COVID hit, um, even though he'd left his job only six months before <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, uh, to yeah. start a new job yeah. uh, or to start his own company, actually. Um, so we were already sort of running pretty tight um, because of the investments and that that we put in place. We were actually pretty good. We were okay. Oh, good. Um, and so even going down to like, you know, job subsidies and stuff yeah. like that, we, we were still okay. So so that was actually pretty good. Um, I guess in some respects a blessing, but also not a blessing, um, was because my mum had terminal cancer. Mm. Mm. And so we were kind of going through all of that as well. And um, not a blessing because with all COVID restrictions and things like that, so hard to get there to help. Um, yeah. But then also a blessing because once kind of it did lift and I was now back in their bubble and things like that, when mum got really, really sick and in her last sort of few weeks, I was actually able to be there full time to help my dad and to be there with my mum. So. Yeah. Um, and although we didn't get to have a funeral because of COVID restrictions and things like that, we kind of all got to be with her and we kind of got to um, sort of say our goodbyes and things like that. Yeah. So some really shitty, shitty things, but yeah. some really good things yeah, as well. Yeah. Oh, right, right. Yeah. Now that the fans are back, do you think the general public has any idea about how hard the last three years have been for this club? Because I know that there's been uh, the Wellington Phoenix. Uh, they did something similar, but they were nowhere near out as long as you guys were. Um, then you had um, uh, yourself, obviously, doing this. We had other sports teams as well, but generally as a rule of thumb, and I was looking around the world to see, I think possibly the Vodafone Warriors were the sports team that actually stayed away from home the longest out of anybody in the entire world during that period. So do you think the general public has any idea about how hard it was for the players and everything else? Um, I, I don't. I don't think they I don't think you can ever really understand it unless you're actually living it. Yeah. You know, I mean and I think at that time, you know, everybody had their own dramas to kinda of to contend with, so why would you really care about some high paid yeah. professional yeah, footballers, exactly. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I think if everybody just kinda of thinks about, you know, when you're having a really tough day, who do you turn to? Yeah. And if it is a really tough day and that person's not there, what does that do to you? Yeah. And effectively for the first year that our players were away, they had to do that every day. Yeah. You know, yeah, they had their teammates, but it's not the same. There's things you wouldn't tell your teammates that you would tell that person. Yeah. You yeah. know, and, um, you know, and I think too, like, it was just, um, you know, no, no, you just, you, like I say, you couldn't understand it unless you lived it. And I just, you know, that, that first year when, you know, we were trying so hard to get their families over there. And, you know, I mean, big ups to Cameron, George. Yeah. I mean, the man must have, like, burnt through 
like phone cables, like yeah. you just wouldn't believe, like trying to organise stuff. Good thing with, you had sponsors, Vodafone. Uh, yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, just trying to arrange stuff with government and, you know, try, and I can understand why government didn't do it, right? Yep. I mean, it's yeah, like yeah. special treatment and all that sort of stuff. It, they would have been crucified if they did and crucified if they didn't. Yep. So totally understand, you know, why it was so hard. But, you know, just everyone was trying so hard to, to get some form of normality in and around the players. And, you know, when you're living in a hotel and you don't have your own stuff around you and you, know, you haven't got your own pillow yeah, and, yep. you know, you haven't got the food that you're used to eating or, you know, just so many of those home comforts. And yep. and I think the other thing is too is like so many of our New Zealand boys are real homebodies, yep. you know, and even even our coaches. Like I know um, even Stacey Jones is a real homebody, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, and so that, that just puts on a level of stress and tension that you sort of don't expect. And, and I have no doubt that at the beginning, like there was definitely – you know, it was it was probably kind of a little bit fun and kind of a little bit exciting and mm-hmm. kind of a bit of an adventure. But when it drags out for nearly three years, yeah, you get yeah, over it pretty yeah. quick. Didn't yeah. see this coming. Yeah, 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 you get over it pretty quick. So, so yeah, I mean, uh, you know, that it was definitely, definitely a tough time. And I would say there's definitely a lot of people um, who um, were, were were massively challenged in that time. And you know, I mean, uh, yeah, I, I, like I say, I, I didn't I didn't live there. COVID. No. But I lived my COVID, yeah. and I know how hard that was. So I could only, I could, I could only imagine how tough the these was. Yeah, not wrong. And somewhere, sort of, just before the sort of beginning of COVID, the um, Warriors have set up their community foundation as well. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Timing's a wonderful thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And so, what was that like? Because I know that you worked. Well, you work your rear end off to make that happen, right? Yeah. And then it happens, and then boom, hey, actually, worldwide pandemic. Uh, you know, we can't hold any black tie events to raise money for youth and rugby league. We can't do anything for sort of uh, warriors um, trying to do school stuff like bullying or, you know, reading or, you know, trying to do all that stuff. Yeah. Um, so obviously that's all gone on the back burner. Was that really disheartening? Because that must have been... Like, I, I looked at the Vodafone... Foundation, sorry, the Warriors Foundation page when it came up, I was like, yeah, this will be awesome. And I'm like, nothing's going to happen for the next couple of years, maybe, yeah. Yeah, yeah I guess, I, I guess again, like, um, I'm kind of, I'm one of these people that if you put it out to the universe into your tūpuna um, and you're doing it for the right reasons, good yep. stuff happens, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yep. And so, yes, I, I've been fighting really hard to get the, the foundation up and going and things like that. And, you know, and for it to finally have happened, to me, it's a win, right? Totally taking that win. Um, but also, too, I think we were also really fortunate because the Warriors have amazing sponsors. We yeah. have amazing commercial partners. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we have a corporate lounge here of like 65 medium, you know, small to medium businesses. Um, you know, we have um, a membership that I think most clubs would just be so jealous for because yeah. our members are ridiculously passionate. Yeah. Um, and Still so we, one of the highest selling jerseys in the NRL as well. Yeah, well, our jerseys are cool. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, our jerseys yeah, are the coolest yeah. jerseys, yeah. yeah. Um, and so, yeah, so we sort of, um, you know, we, we kind of lent quite heavily on that. But we but we also didn't have to because they kind of just came out of the woodwork to help, which yeah. was really great, you yeah. know. So we were fortunate enough that we did actually manage in between lockdowns to get a corporate lunch done. Yeah. Um, which was great, you know, we it was sold out. 
Um, we had a fantastic fundraiser. We made some really, really great money from that day to kind of give us a really, really good kickstart. Um, we also have been fortunate enough sort of at the beginning of the, this year to have been able to squeeze in a corporate dog golf day, yep. um, which also raised us some really, really good money. Um, we have our brick wall on our website. Yep. Um, so the whole idea of the brick wall is it's a, it's a virtual brick wall. There's only 200 bricks that you can purchase from the brick wall, but it basically makes you a foundation member of our foundation. Yep. And the bricks, like I think the... You can buy a brick for 250, I think it's 500,000, 2,000. Yeah. Um, and that basically just kind of helps us sort of keep little, you know, keep things ticking over. Yeah. Um, and, you know, but the, the biggest thing for us is, um, I guess, Ortex as our owner. Yeah. You know, because, um, you know. Long time rugby league support. Long, long, long time long rugby, time rugby Long, yeah, long yeah, time yeah, rugby, yeah, rugby league yeah. supporters, Robinsons yeah. and the Robinson family. And, yeah. you know, and we are so, um, we're so grateful that the help that they've given to the foundation and, you know the bodies that they have you know pulled out of the woodwork and things like that and um the foundation just i, I mean i guess we've started in the worst possible um situation but that only means bigger and better things yeah bigger and better things for us so not yeah. wrong not wrong uh now somewhere in all of that as well and this sort of i'm going to say a quagmire of disappointment <laughs> not that it was for you um you become the nrlw team gm as well because that must have been like a childhood dream come true oh yeah, 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 because you and I have spoken offline about that type of stuff, and yeah. you've always said, oh, I want to be a general manager. Yeah, yeah. Sure enough, uh, was that a huge disappointment when the team was pulled? And I mean, I understand the reasons why it was pulled, because it just probably wasn't sustainable in the atmosphere, and it'll be coming back, I'm absolutely sure. Yeah. Um, but um, was that a disappointment for you and the rest of the crew when it happened? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I guess I guess where I'm fortunate is that I actually went away to, I was the general manager when we went away and lived in Australia for yeah. six weeks. Yeah. And, you know, the, the tough thing about the NRLW is the girls have to have full-time jobs. Yeah. You know, so many of them are mums and wives yeah. and things like that, you know. So to relocate on your own without your family, which is effectively what they were having to do, during a global pandemic yeah, yeah. and a virus that we still don't know the long-term effects of yeah. and things like that. I just sort of think that, you know, for some girls it was just from New Zealand, although it broke their hearts to not be able to play, it was just kind of that step too far to be able to go. Yeah. And I mean, so effectively when we went away in 2020, we went away with five players, um, myself as, as manager and then Carmen Taplin as, an, as um, a wellbeing yeah. officer. You know, and like there were effectively seven of us. Um, we had a two-week, um, what was it, isolation period yeah. where we isolated on an island in the middle of the Hawkesbury yeah. River. Yeah. Um, and during that time, I was working with um, the the coach we had over there, who's actually the Jillaroo's coach, Brad Donald, um, and he'd sort of stepped up to offer to coach us while we were over there. So between Brad and myself, we were effectively trying to contract. 17 girls yeah. from Australia and you know the girls were amazing like they came with open hearts yeah. for us and and for our situation and they just really they wanted to wear the jersey with pride and they wanted to do everything that they could to make sure that the NRLW for the Warriors kept yeah. going and I mean hands down I've had massive experiences in rugby league but hands down that six weeks and that campaign is the highlight yeah, yeah. of my life yeah. and my time at at the Warriors and you know, and I was so honoured to have been able to be part of that, you know, and that was, that was Cameron George basically turning around and going, 
hey would you like this and yeah. i would just i just about cried yeah, yeah, um, yeah. river of tears like you know out of his office kind of thing i was just so overwhelmed um and but i also understood the massive challenges that came with that in in the money yeah you know like accommodating a team from you know australia and new zealand so queensland girls new yeah. south wales girls you know um accommodating us feeding us um you know the girls got paid granted back then for 2020 it wasn't fantastic money but you know and and then girls were having to leave jobs and leave families and you know i mean it was just it was just such a massive a massive massive commitment from them and you know so i can totally understand um you know why we've done what we've done because the other big thing with ortex and also um you know the warriors is we want a new zealand team you know mm. we want the warriors as a pathway for new zealanders to shine yeah you know and and that's that's sort of like what it is all about and yes we probably could relocate to australia and we probably could sign a whole bunch of girls and all that sort of stuff but that's not the new zealand warriors yeah. and you're not going to get buy-in from the local fans because they're going to look at people and go really she's from townsville yeah yeah, yeah. potentially but yeah. i think i think more because the nrlw is this like you know brand new thing and it's just this massive opportunity for our women and you know women at the moment are the biggest growth area in our game and i know yeah. probably in so many other codes it is as well you know we kind of just want to do it right yeah. you know and and do it properly and I, I think by taking this break and being able to a get our men home and be able to start rebuilding the club um i actually think that it's it's a really great thing as heartbroken as i am that we don't have a team yeah. in there you know but um you know luckily some of our girls have relocated and they're playing for other teams yeah. and you know hopefully we can woo those girls back to the warriors yeah. when we do have a team and they'll bring all that experience with them yeah of course they will you know, and make us better when they come back i'm guessing they're going to be an integral part of the foundation as well um yeah i mean even though they're probably sorry lads don't take this the wrong way busier in real life um than the professional players if you know what i mean um they'll still be part of the foundation because you and i both know because we've been to schools and been to communities and everything else the value of having um those uh kiwi players those warrior players come into schools especially if it's a, a female role model talking to a class of kids and saying you can do this too absolutely yeah. and i've always been i've always been a strong believer in you know if you see it you can be it yeah and you know and and that was kind of one of the reasons why when we you know when the community department got big enough that i could actually employ somebody yeah. i employed a female player yeah, yeah, yeah you know because that you know we were always going to be able to have male players around us that we would be able to take into schools but to be able to have that female player that we could also stand up and go um and at that stage it was georgia hale mm -hmm. you know is to be able to stand up and say well this is georgia hale um you know five foot two you know yeah, lucky yeah. to weigh you know yeah. 70 kgs when it's um, yeah, 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 yeah yeah and um and she gets out there and she tackles you know just as hard and runs just as hard and all that sort of stuff and and to be able to stand her up in front of all the girls in the schools we were going to next to one of the boys who would basically then turn around and go yeah we don't want to wrestle with georgia because she's too full on yeah, yeah, you know yeah. like yeah. um you know i think that was that's a really important message um not just for our game but also for girls you know like yeah. um there's nothing wrong with being a strong physical girl oh don't i know it and having coached a couple of those new zealand rugby league reps <laughs> Uh, and actually teaching them how to catch a ball when they were at high school level and then turning on the TV one day and watching them play for New Zealand and going, holy, that's, uh, oh my goodness, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's heartwarming for everybody, let's be honest. Yeah. Right, now, uh, lots of listeners would have got, been to a Warriors game 
and been down in the community zone, right? There's face painting, there's skills, there's drills, there's bouncy castles. <laughs> there's normally Patrice running around yeah. like she's doing another marathon. Yeah. Um, what do you do to switch off at the end of that? Because it's full on. And I mean, like, there's been times when I've been at the ground and I can see you kind of squeaking a peek at the scoreboard, but that's about it. Because you don't get to see the game because you're doing the stuff with all your staff and your volunteers. So what do you do when you come home to switch off from all of that? Because it's not... It's not an easy setup and an easy pack down. And I mean, you guys are here a couple of hours, if not half a day before the game, and then a couple of hours afterwards. And as we all know, because we've all been at um, the stadium when it's raining, it's not the world's most, <laughs> um, shall we say, appealing place when it's hosing down. Yeah. And you're right on the track, pretty yeah. much. Yeah. So um, what do you do to switch off? Um... I mean, I love game days. It's pretty much what we all sort of, you know, work towards is having these awesome game days. You know, there's nothing quite like Mount Smart, like full of people and screaming for our team. Like there is just nothing like it. Um, And yeah, although I don't sort of get to to watch a lot of the game, um, you know, the good thing is, is the crowd tells you what's happening, you know, which is really cool. Um, So that's usually when I sort of run around and try and take a peek at a scoreboard or a replay or something like that. Um, But switching off, yeah, um, for me, it's definitely probably... Um, if I haven't watched the game, I usually like to watch the game. Yeah. So um, just to sort of, you know, get an idea of kind of what happened during it and things like that. Um, but yeah, for me, switching off is usually hot shower and yeah. sleeping or hot yeah, shower. Yeah. And um, yeah. I'm, a, I'm a massive reader. Yeah, so yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm a really voracious mm-hmm. reader. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, getting lost in a book is always a good thing for yeah. me. Not, a, not wrong. Not wrong at all. Right. I promised it. So here it comes. Patrice, Keisha, your greatest Kiwi <laughs> rugby league team of all time. You know this actually kept me up all oh, yeah, night, no, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, this is like yeah, that's, well, 834 players since 1907. I know, yeah, yeah, I know, yeah exactly. Yeah. So, well, let's be honest. I text you this pro. I text you this question. Yeah. I said I'm going to give the. This is the only heads up I've pretty much given in the history of the Coppagino podcast because I knew it would put Patrice in an absolute spin. Uh, <laughs> we both went. Mark Graham has got to be in that team. Yeah. So you're now down to 12. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, geez, 12. Geez, I even gave my, I even did a bench. Oh, there you go. Look at that. Gold. Yeah, yeah, okay, right. Bench. Um, which was also really tough because I don't know what it is about me, but I kind of have a bit of an affinity for second rowers. There you go. Right. So she's going to her iPhone because <laughs> yeah, she's I put am. it down on notation. Look at I that. Have. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so. But yes, I do want to say 824 players since 1907. There you go, yeah. So my selections have actually only started since I was probably a kid and could actually really visualise who players were. Yeah, and I think that's so. fair as well because like, there will be lots of people who, you know, oh, you forgot this uh, this player yeah. and blah, blah, blah. And he was part of the All Golds team. Yeah, like, yeah. Yeah, but I wasn't really there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so um, I think for me, my fullback is definitely Roger Tuivasa-Sheik. I'll give you that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, um, yeah. I, th- I think his his defense on the line and i mean the the late step at when he's you know taking the ball to the line and things like that yeah, yeah. Not incredible wrong. yeah and great defender too i thought he was really great um my first winger is sean hoppy yeah, yeah. um i thought sean was um apart from just having mad wheels um yeah. was you know just he was a good dude and yeah, yeah. as well um, number three, the number one warrior of all time, Dean Bell. Yeah, and yeah. both clubs, we're going to end here. Yeah, 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 yeah both warriors. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. yeah. so definitely Dean Bell. And um, legend, yep. Hines, other, yeah. Yeah, yeah. My nice. other, my other, um, my other centre was real tough, um, but I actually went for the James Lulawai. Yep. 
Um, Super step. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mad step. Um, and I think he was probably one of the first players that I kind of really remember going, wow, who is that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know? Um, yeah. So, yeah. So, definitely James Ledewey. Um My other winger is Manu Vatuve. Yep. Yep. Um, my number six would be Olsen Filipina. Rest his soul. Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. The good gab gabologist. Yep. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, my halfback would be Stacey Jones. No surprises. Yeah. 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 yeah Stacey yeah. Jones. Yeah. Um, yeah. Definitely. Although I have to say, and I'm not going to rain thunder on your parade here, but as an ex Rangitato College guy, I do have a slight affinity with the Wiz, Gary Freeman. Oh, as well. see, no, I, it was really, really tough for me because growing up, I loved the Wiz. Yeah. We'll put him on the bench. Absolutely loved him. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely yeah. loved the yeah. Wiz, but I just think from a from an actual like yeah. game management yeah. perspective, and I think Stacey's yeah. different. Yeah. And experience-wise. Oh, well. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, got that little bit of an edge on him. Yeah. Um, my first prop is Quinton Pongia. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd yeah. give you that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. cute. Um, my hooker is Howie Tamadi. Ooh, yeah, okay then, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, okay, yeah. I bet I know who you were thinking about. Go on. Yeah, the Rabbitoh. Uh, possibly, I was actually thinking Dwayne Mann. Oh, Dwayne Mann. Yeah, I yeah, did actually yeah. think about Dwayne Mann. I actually put Dwayne on my bench. There you go. Yep. Yeah, okay. yeah. So yep. Dwayne's actually yep. on my bench. Um, my other prop is Ruben Wiki. Naturally. Yeah. Yeah. 55 yep. tests for New Zealand. Yep. Like, you know, absolute hero. And a carver bowl on the sideline as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yep. <laughs> Gotta love those carver sessions. Yeah. Yeah. Um, my second row, my first second row is Simon Mannering. Of course. No surprise. Naturally. Yeah. Yep. That's good for 60 tackles. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Um, and my second one was Ali Lautiti. Naturally. Idaho yep. boy. And also just, you know, that flair, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. sort of like if you, if, if I was Stacey Jones, I would never leave Ali's shoulder. No. You know, no, because yeah. there's tries all over the place there. Assuming Ali just doesn't score the try himself. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, number 13, Mark Graham. Of course. Yep. Yeah. And captain or not? Or oh, you didn't do captain? I didn't do a captain. No, that's all right then. No, I didn't do a captain. Yep, but right. I probably would. If it was Mark, if it was Mark, Mark Graham was in my team, I would probably make yep. Mark the captain. There's not many people, as we all know, who will play with the snap to Achilles. Yeah, how, but how do you even do that? I don't know. He, I like spoke to him about it work. once, like, and he how said do you to even me, do that? "You're wearing a Kiwi shirt. You can't not." And I was like, <laughs> "Certainly, Mr. Graham. No worries." And that was yeah, it. Yeah, I know. Mm. Um, and so then, yeah, Dwayne Mann, um, Stephen Kenny, yep, Sonny yeah, Bill Williams, yep. and that's it. Good done. I couldn't argue with most of them, so that's all mm. good. Yeah. Mm. Okay, so let's go. The best rugby league referee in the last thirty years is who? Oh, far out. Last 30 years. I would have to say my father-in-law, Neville Kesha. There you go. Yep. Yeah. I wasn't going to bring him up, <laughs> but there you go. Yep. So, yep. Well, I was going to say, it was actually really funny because when you, I think you, at one stage you started talking about referees, like having different yep. opinions and views and things like that. And I was like, well, man, you should be in my house. I'm a referee. Yeah, yeah, my husband's yeah, yeah. a referee. Yeah. My father-in-law is a referee. Yeah, yeah. So when the three of us are watching games together, it can be a bit of fun. And the beauty of Neville is, as Wally Lewis can tell you, he does not take tolerate fools very well. Absolutely not. Not wrong. Yeah. No. So, full respect to him. Um, what's the fondest rugby league memory of your life? Oh, for me, it's that NRLW. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Definitely that, but so different as a um, as a kid. Like those Carl Park days just can't be beaten. Yeah. You know, like we would literally turn up there for all three rounds. Yeah. You know, two football fields going, concrete stand full. Yeah. Railway stand full, yeah. all the kids ripping off the signs off the... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and to me that's, in a way, it's kind of a shame that Callow Park went because, I mean, I remember being there for the Warriors versus the Raiders where our star halfback, Stacey Jones, had his arm broken. Mm. Uh, yeah, um, yeah. anyway, um, and it was the atmosphere there at Callow oh, yeah. Park was just amazing. 
And I got to see so many cool things there. Like I went to my first Kiwis test at Carlow Park. Yeah, yeah. You know, jammed in yeah. on the on the concrete stands, and you know, I, I saw my first um, live Winfield Cup game yeah. there. You know, there was just so many cool things. And then there was always Park. the good old pitch invasion afterwards. Where you, oh, hundred yeah, exactly, percent, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. And there was always the the corner that had the little rise in it, so oh, you always yeah, knew yeah, the kick. Yeah. The, the players kicked the, the ball there and come yeah. back. Yeah. yeah. Now, when you look at the game now, and being a tra- trailblazer for many women in rugby league, because you are. Uh, how long do you think it's going to see, be before we start to see, like the Toronto Maple Leaves, the ice hockey team has just appointed a female as an assistant coach, which has created, oh, I'm not going to say a big turmoil because it hasn't, lots of people have gone, she's worked hard, she's done the yards, we don't care. Um, how long do you think it's going to be before we see a woman as a head coach in the NRL or um, as an assistant coach in the NRL? Um, I would say it's not very far away at all. Yeah. Um... I, I would say, I would say, I would like to say in the next five years, yeah. um, but I would say we're probably maybe closer. Well, I was going to say, if you think about it, like, you know, I would say Queensland is probably pretty close, yeah. maybe. Yeah. You know, they've got some great ladies that are that are coaching over there now, like in the women's game and things like that. So, you know, there could be some really good opportunities for, for female coaches real yeah. soon. And I think too, you know, um, it's like you say, it, it, as long as everybody earns their yards, you mm. know, earns their stripes and does the yards, yeah. like, why yeah. not? Yeah, exactly right. Is it hard sometimes to get the balance right at the club in your role? Because, I mean, I've been in your office, God, we've sat here for almost an hour, um, and your phone's turned upside down, which normally goes, bzz, 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 <laughs> on you there, it's like a busy bee. Is it hard to get the balance right for you and the club? with causes and requests and the such like. So some so people have some idea, and I know that it slowed off a little bit during COVID and people are sort of warming back up to the idea of live sports and everything else, but let's go back to sort of 2010, 2011, 2012 time. How many requests a week do you think you'd get for, can I have a player appearance or can I have a, is there any chance we could get these guys to come to this school and everything else? And like you and I both know, and I, as I'm frequently telling people, you do realise there's only one Simon Mannering. There's not like 10 of them. She hasn't got a cupboard of them. Yeah. Um, yeah so roughly, just off the top of your head, how many do you think requests you'd get at sort of the height of Warriors popularity? And we let's be honest, we all know it gets worse during playoffs as well. Oh, so much yeah. worse during playoffs, yeah. yeah. Or even if the team just does well the yeah. year prior, the, yeah. year, the next year, oh, yeah. goes gangbusters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. 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 Goes gangbusters. Um... I was gonna say, if we're talking at the height, we're we're probably into the two fifty. Yeah, yeah. Two fifty yeah. a week. Um, I mean, and that's the thing is like, they sort of come to me, but then people also go straight to footy and go to marketing and yeah, yeah. You know, so if we kind of like loops those all together, yeah, we're definitely in the in the two fifty. Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah, a week. All right, now here comes the two stickiest questions for you. Yep. What does equality in sports or sports admin look like to you? And how is it achieved? Um, While you're thinking about it, this is what I think. I think it's when we get to the day of, I'm talking to Patrice Keisha, she's the community manager for the Vodafone Warriors. I don't even mention the fact she's the, a female. I don't even mention the fact of her sex or anything else. I just go, this is Patrice, she's the manager. For me, that's a quality. Um, it really annoys me when we get people like, well, it's Kamala Harris, the first vice president. I'm like, yeah, I know. I get that she's female or whatever, but yeah. I don't really care as long as she can do the job. So, exactly, and I think I think that's what it is. That's what it is for me too. Is that it's you know, there's 
there's you know the only descriptor you get is basically your name and your position yeah right and also to the fact that you're actually you get the position because you deserve the position yeah not based on any other no any other attribute that you may have yeah you know and i think um i think to me that's that's kind of what it looks like and it's not like oh we can't give you the job because you're a woman yeah you know or we you know or That's, we're only giving you this yeah. job because you're a woman. Or it'll look bad know. if we don't give you the job because yeah. Yeah, 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 and you know, and I and I sort of think that's I think that's truly where it is. Is yeah, is is when it gets to that. How do we do it? I think um, we all just have to normalise that conversation. So yeah, you know, um, and you know, I mean, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's that when you know we sort of say. Patrice Kesher, life member of Auckland Referees Association. We remove the first woman part. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, I, I, yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what it is. I yeah. mean, um, I think, like, I'm, I'm massively um, in awe of my children and their generation. Yeah, um, they're pretty cool. It. They are very, very cool. And like, we're not just talking diversity with sexes either. We're talking about um, kids who have got different needs yeah. and everything. That. They're a lot more accepting than. Our generation was way yeah, way yeah, more yeah, accepting yeah, yeah. way way more accepting and that's yeah. and that's the thing i think i'm i'm really most positive about you know i mean i kind of look at it like you know um our two oldest are in their early 20s um the youngest is just about i know right <laughs> the youngest is just a bit about to hit the 20s yeah, yeah you know and i just sort of think you know they are they are so much more open and accepting of everyone and everything and you know, to them, it's kind of, it's just, it's normal, yeah. you know, like yeah, yeah. they don't, they don't have those labels and, you know, they, they don't, they don't pigeonhole people and things like that. They're way more accepting and way more open. And, you know, and that's why I have so much hope and, and yeah. faith in where we're going as humanity, yeah, yeah. because I think that generation is going to do way more amazing things than yeah. any generation that's gone before them. Yeah, not wrong. Okay, so last question, that's the question we always ask. Uh, the day of reckoning has come for Patrice Keisha. You're lying in your coffin, so yep. to speak, or whatever you're doing. Uh, but strangely enough, you can hear <laughs> what people are saying about you. Now, no, we're not talking about the rugby league stalwart, um, great for the game because you are, you know, trailblazer, blah, blah, blah. What would you want people to say about you? If you could sum it up in two or three sentences. Um... That she was kind, that she was loving, and that she did her best for everyone. Boom. And on that, now you can see why Patrice was my first rugby league guest, because people like her are the soul of the earth, and they are what make this game the greatest game on earth. Thanks for listening. But please, do Constable Brian and I a favour, and be sure to subscribe. So you don't miss out on the next Coppuccino podcast. Real people, real stories.